0: on this episode of The Committed.
1: God didn't save me just to get me to heaven. He wants to use me here, the sacrifice that Christ made for me, I felt obligated, to live according to His Word. Put my head in the Bible, and I would pray, God, let your words penetrate my mind that I never forget them. Push my body up and place my heart in the Bible. And I would say, God, let your words penetrate my heart that I will be able to live by them.
0: I just spent this past week reading one of the better books that I've read in quite a while. And it was co-written, well, I suppose it was written by, um, a. I I suppose you call it a ghostwriter or a collaborator of sorts. But the main inspiration for the book was the person that we're going to be talking to in just a minute. His name is Robert Borelli, and I just want to mention the book very quickly because I I was just drawn to it, and I heard about Robert with another podcast that I listened to a few months ago. (laughs) I thought this is the kind of person that I want to talk to. Uh, The book is titled The Witness, A Tale of the Life and Death of a Mafia Madman, and he was actually... Uh, pretty. He wasn't like. I guess they call it made. I guess if you've got it made, if you've made it into the the mafia inner workings or the inner circle, I don't know exactly how they call it. Maybe we'll find out once we get Robert on the call in just a minute. But he was pretty pretty high up there. He had he he was connected to some of the big people in the mafia there in New York City, the Gambino crime family. He lived quite an interesting life and quite a raucous life, and it got him into a lot of trouble, uh, and it caused quite a bit of heartache in his youth. And it was just, it, he just, he was just, from what I could see in, in the book, it was just a pattern. You get into one of those mental patterns, and you just can't get out of it. In his words, he be, he became familiar with angels with guns, and it was those police officers who took him into custody and... Eventually, he became a, a very, very committed Christian. I, I read the book, and I have some questions that I'm going to ask him, so we'll see how this goes. So let's bring on Robert Borelli.
1: Can you hear me? Yes, sir. How are you? Okay, good, James. How are you, sir?
0: I'm just fine. Thank you. Can you see me? No, but this is an audio podcast, so it's not necessary. Okay.
1: All right.
0: I have a face made for radio, as they say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I do audio only for my shows. Okay. Well, it's good to see you and hear your voice.
1: Well, thank you. I do appreciate the time, and it's always a pleasure to speak about what God has done in my life.
0: Now, you're in Dallas, Texas. Is that correct?
1: Well, it's Mansfield, but it's out the outskirts of Dallas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's in the metroplex area of Dallas.
0: So if you were to describe it to someone who lives in Vietnam, you'd say, I'm from Dallas.
1: Yeah, probably, yeah, but they never in Mansfield, that's
0: for sure. <laughs> right, yeah.
1: But I'm not really from Dallas, neither. I'm from Brooklyn, but I'm in Dallas,
0: yeah. As we can tell from your accent, you're not from Dallas.
1: I didn't know I had one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Native Texans don't speak the way that you speak. Really? No,
1: no. I wonder no, why no. you're not communicating good.
0: <laughs> that's why no one can understand me. Okay. First of all, I want to give a little shout out to my friends, Wendy Pett and Todd Isburner who hosts the outstanding podcast, Your Biggest Breakthrough. And it was listening to their show a few months ago that I heard about you. They're doing a really nice job with their show. I thought, man, this is the kind of guy that, what a powerful story. What reaction do you typically get from people? Like say that you you meet someone from the the first time down there in Dallas, and um, you get to know them well enough that you share a little bit about your life. What's the reaction that you get when you share that, you were involved in the mafia.
1: Well, that's kind of the reason why somebody told me you need to write a book. Yes. Because people who know me now can't really identify or imagine that I used to be the guy that i tell them I was. And then people back home can't see or know a lot of things that I'm doing now other than the last maybe five, six years of putting a lot of stuff out there. So one of the reasons was to let... People know about the power of of God when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So it's for people like back home who, I'm not saying all of them are lost, but I believe a lot of them that were in my lifestyle weren't saved, that's for sure. And then also the ones that are here who are saved uh, and maybe dismiss people who, or don't think people like a guy like I was could get saved. You know what I mean? So it leaves a message of hope. Basically is what I always try to do. So the reaction sometimes is like, yeah, I can't believe that you talk to <laughs> me to believe that you were that guy.
0: Do they see like shock? Like they hear the word I mean, do you do you tell them that you were in the mafia and they what's their reaction when they hear the word mafia?
1: Well not all the time. I don't introduce myself like that. Right, know? of course, if, obviously. <laughs> people are getting to know me and then I share my because that's for me the main thing is I believe God didn't save me just to get me to heaven. He wants to use me here. So my testimony is part of bringing hope. And it could be for somebody personally, it could be for somebody, a family member, it could be a friend, a kid down the street that's hanging out and doing all the things that they shouldn't be doing. Prayer is very powerful. I believe a lot of people were praying for me before I even came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They didn't give up. And I believe my mom was the biggest one.
0: Well, you mentioned your mom quite a bit in the book, and and, uh, she was a very positive influence on, on you. But I, I want to start out with I, I, I think that the title of the book is just really brilliant because it's the witness, uh, the life and death of a mafia madman. We talked about how obviously reconciled with your past and you've forgiven yourself. But the, per, the person that was portrayed in the, the first part of the book, the, like we'll just call it the old Robert, it's not a very likable person. I didn't like that person. I'm sure looking back, you don't like it either.
1: No, I don't. I have a hard time talking about that. And and that was part of, like, in the beginning of sharing my testimony. I would not speak a lot about that. And, and a lot of people saying, you need to let people know the goodness of God. And sometimes we can't identify with the goodness of God unless we know how bad you were and that the grace of God. And, and I say goodness, but I mean really mean the grace of God and the mercy of God that he could take somebody like you and change their life. So uh, uh, that's that's just part of it. But I, I always had a hard time sharing about who I was because I don't like that guy neither. But you mentioned about forgiving myself, and that was the hardest thing for me to, to do. And still sometimes it, 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 it gets in the way of some things that I need to do. So uh, I didn't... Fully, you know as I think of some of the past and I have some past regrets, of course. Uh, and I know God has forgiven me, but the one thing that I remember when I, I say I have a hard time forgiving myself, somebody would say, Well, God, being the Almighty God, can forgive you, who are you not to forgive you? So that kind of played played an impact. But yes, that was the hardest thing. Knowing that other people did, try to reach out to people as much as I could to make amends to people in my past and stuff like that, and those that wanted to connect with me, and still some of them that do connect with me, let them know that I'm sorry for the person that I was, and I'm no longer that person. I thank God for that. But uh, for me, they can forgive me for some of the things I did was really hard.
0: You, You mentioned in the book, you call them angels with guns. And uh, <laughs> it's very, very well written. And I, I guess it was a couple of police officers, detectives, or something in New York City. I guess it was your time to face the music, as they say. At the, at the time, it, it looked like it wasn't—it you know, it looked like you were in, you know, some really serious trouble, but you identify it as kind of like the turning point, although you didn't realize it at the time, to uh, the, the transformation that you eventually—recognition of Jesus as your Lord— later in your life. From what I gather in that book, it, it that was the moment where things began to change for the better.
1: Let me just say this on the record, though, this is really important. Scott H. Hunt was the guy that wrote the book. I was just a co-author of the book. He did everything. We self-published the book. He actually did everything. So I didn't do any writing in the book. It was just based on me and him meeting and sharing sharing my story with him. So. He's got to get all the credit about how he put that book together. Not not really. I, I'm just telling it a story, and he's put it all together. So H. Scott Hunt is his name, and he deserves the credit for the book. Uh, I just want to make that clear because I have a hard time writing my name, never mind writing a book. But saying what you're saying just leads me to one thing that I feel God is compelling me to do, and I don't know how I'm going to go do it or go about doing it, is writing another book because what you're saying is that I, I could look back now. At that point in time, trust me, I didn't think they were my angels. Those And they were warrant officers. I was wanted for cases in New York, and then they didn't even know that I had a case that the federal government was looking for me in Florida. But once I got arrested, all that came about. So, um, so at that point in time, that's what I'm saying. It's about the spirit of God compelling me and bringing me to the brokenness that he brought me to. Now, I knew about God being raised in a religious family. I knew about God, but I didn't know God. I didn't have that personal relationship. My thought of God was he's up there, I'm down here, and someday we'll get together and find out what we're going to do. That's just my thought of it, you know? But at the time, uh, uh, but when I made him my personal Lord and Savior, that's when the veil was removed from my eyes and that big light came shining again. And I like to say that it happened spontaneous that my life just suddenly changed like that. But that's that won't be the truth. It was a process of things. But that was the turning point. And I'm looking back, I can see the spirit of God. I say it like this here. I believe somebody out there was protecting me because there's no way I'm supposed to be alive today. That's just a fact. And everybody back home knows that there. I mean, people were betting that I never made 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 years old, because the lifestyle that I lived, that was really kind of uh, uh, what they used to call me, a loose cannon. And I could look now and see there was a hand on my life, even though I, at that point in time, I didn't know whose hand it was. But then coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I could see it was his hand on my life, even back then before I even got a personal relationship with him. So that's why I say I want to do a book, maybe call them the leading by the Spirit, because we can't see how the Spirit is moving in our everyday life. But he's there, he's active, and he's moving.
0: I, I don't want to talk. Ab- obviously, don't want to talk about your past forever, but I do. I do just have a couple of more questions for you, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. When you're when you're looking back at your your youth, can you like pinpoint a spot where things just kind of went wrong? Like it, at that point, things began to go in the wrong direction.
1: I, I try to examine that over and over and over again in certain different things. But I think, and I think I even mentioned it in the book. It was written a little bit in the book, is that the passing of my grandfather because he was living with us, and and being I think I was like nine years old at the time, and not understanding all of that, and then having somebody in your life that's living with you, and then all of a sudden they're not there the next day. I think that might have had something to do with it. Uh, but the other thing I've learned early in life, and just like babies do, you, sometimes you get more attention being bad than you do when you're being good. So maybe I was that type of guy that was striving for the attention of others, families, people around me, and I seen that when I was bad, I was being I mean, the focus point of, of, of their life too. So I, I haven't come to a conclusion of it, and I'm not a psychologist. But I love to talk to one one day and find out how, how I want. But you know, the good thing is, is, you know, and I say this here, uh, I read somewhere that the average person makes about 1,200 decisions a day. Now, I read this a few years ago. It might have changed like, since then. And what I like to do is I look back at my story and I see all the bad decisions that I made. But then I think about the one decision that I did make, make that change the course of all those bad decisions and that was accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's what I love to tell young kids too. and you can make a lot of bad decisions, but there's one decision that you can make that change the course of your life.
0: I saw reading the book, there was there's a lot of I don't know if you want to call it virtue, but there were some maybe some positive attributes of of your comrades in in the Mafia circles. Loyalty to each other. You had uh, this Nikki character who was um, like, kind of like a father figure, maybe or a mentor of sorts. And it seems to me like, although there, you know, there's definitely some negative aspects of that lifestyle. Maybe there's some positive aspects that people like myself, other other people listening in, who sort of live the quote straight and narrow life.
1: Well, I definitely do that if if I'm speaking one-on-one with some people, because, you know, when I do a testimony in front of everybody, you only have a limited time of what you can share. But what I like to tell people, especially in the church, is when I look back at the old life, this guy, Nikki poured himself into me. He, he he was like my father, but I, I have to tell you, for me, he was like my God. He was my idol. Uh I trusted him. Whatever he told me, I would just do it, you know, and he groomed me. And you could say, in a sense, discipled me into that lifestyle. And I think us as Christians, we're not pouring ourselves into some of these youth that really need of starving for the attention and to have somebody, you know, I just see it like sometimes what we try to do. And I don't want to be judging anybody or any church or anything, but but just. From my standpoint than the question that you asked me, we're not pouring enough of ourselves into it. We're kind of like, sometimes you get into a church and you're the CEO of, of, of everything and you tell everybody what to do, but you're not pouring yourself into these people so much. Maybe you meet them once a week, you know, like a church service or something like that. Sometimes you don't even know half the people you have in your church service. because you're But I think discipleship is probably one of the biggest things we're missing today more than anything. And then even if you go for people that are working, I was thinking about that earlier this morning. when I'm walking my dog, I'm saying, you know, <clears throat> when I was a kid, you know, you didn't your mom and dad both didn't have to work. You know, I mean, we we were poor, but we had the love of our mother in our, our life almost on a continuous basis. That when you came from school, she got you to school, brought you home from school, poured some time into you. They were always there. And today we're not there. And of course, the economy and all that has a lot of play in it, that mostly every family, both parents are working. So you have a young kid that's out there looking for something to belong to something because there's nothing constructive in his family. Let's say the family is disoriented or I mean, disengaged or anything like that. I'm not trying to say that. But I think every kid is starving for their parents' attention. I really truly believe that. And when we're pushing them off to things like, Seeing that we're doing the right thing with baseball, you know, them get involved with baseball. Every sport that comes about, we're bringing them out there. But maybe, maybe we could be spending a little bit more time with them, you know. That that's just what I think. And I think that's the same thing with the church. We're missing a lot of disciples. We're not putting a lot of time into some of these people these young kids that are really looking for a mentor, somebody to mm-hmm. disciple them to keep them strong and strengthened in their faith.
0: Yeah. You know, um, some of the, the TV shows or the movies they have, uh, that the, the mafia or the gangster lifestyle, they, they have a tendency to bring out some of the, like sometimes it's like the quote bad guys that teach the, the, <laughs> the, the, the quote good guys, things like providing for your family, uh, taking care of, you know, mentoring others. It's, it's, this is just my this is my experience in, in the media sometimes the unsavory characters sometimes teach some of the best lessons just want to let you know very quickly that you can find show notes as well as links to robert's book and everything else that we discuss and talk about on this episode at committedmedia.org slash made by Jesus that is committedmedia.org dot o r g slash made by Jesus. All one word. Let's get back to the show. You already mentioned this a little bit, writing the book, and you said that it's obviously difficult to recount your past. But when you were telling your story to Scott Hunt, who's writing it into this fantastic novel, you're you're bringing back these memories that had to have been very difficult for you to think about. Was there a, a mission that you kept telling yourself, like, this is going to be worth it because
1: I believe that God kept me alive through all those hard times of my past. And I think the benefit of that is that I can share that with a lot of other young kids or, or other people because I've been through a lot. You got to remember, I had 43 years living a life of crime continuously, and then 20-something years living a, a different life, a life in Christ Jesus, I, I think, I mean, I hope it's a, a book that brings hope into dark places or light into dark places in people's lives. So what I had to do is I was working with the government, and that's part of why we called it The Witness. I was a witness for the government. And I'm a witness for Christ. And that's how we it, and put it the book called The Witness. And they, that's what they want. They kept constantly repeating over and over again, what, you know, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? Who did you do it with? And all that. there. So when I was dealing with, with, with Scott Hunt, it was difficult. And thank God he was patient with me because I'm sure he could see sometimes the frustration of me constantly trying to explain the life that I used to live because I really didn't like talking about it. So to answer the question in short, there, there was a purpose and a plan for the, for the book. And that's basically what I said. If if one person read it and found something in it that could bring them to Jesus, then it's well worth everything that I'm doing. I mean, it's, we spent twenty and a half years on that book. It wasn't just an overnight book.
0: How much? How much time?
1: Twenty and a half years.
0: Well, I mean, I devoured it in the space of about five days. <laughs> uh, well, I part that. Of, part of it is because I was interviewing you. And
1: right.
0: <laughs> I had to, but um, it, it's it is really wonderful book, and um, I, I I certainly hope that, that it serves its purpose. On to a lighter topic. You mentioned in the book that when you're in San Antonio, uh, you're finished with your service, if you want to call it that, to the Witness Protection Program, and now you're basically a free man. And something that I found really interesting is how you really latched on to the ministry to the elderly. And one comment that you said was that, you were, you were able to relate to them because they are... I can't remember exactly what you said, but they're trapped in their own body, and you were able to relate to them because of that. I was wondering if you could just uh, expound or elaborate on that.
1: It's a little bit of a story of how I got involved with that. First, mm-hmm. before I was being released from prison, when I was in Sandstone, Minnesota, my mom was diagnosed with terminal stage four cancer, lung cancer, so I was ministering to my mom And uh, I already made the commitment to go into the witness protection program. But you're not in it until you get released from prison. That's when they take you out and they start giving you everything that you need. new identity and all that. But my heart was aching for my mom because, and I I cried out to God and I said, you know, I don't understand it. You know, if anyone needs this new kind of love that you gave, because I never experienced the love of God until I got to know, except Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had a love, but not the love of God. And I said, if anybody needed me to show them the love that you've given me and that your love can go through me would be my mom. And my mom died while I was in the witness protection program. I couldn't even go to her funeral or anything. I didn't know my mom passed away until three days after she passed away. And that's when I cried out to God what I just finished saying to you. And now she's not here. And I felt God saying that there's other people that you can give that love to. Now, the church that I was attending, which is Evans Road Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas, welcomed me in like I was their family. And I loved them for that, that they surrounded me with a lot of love and didn't look at who I was, gave me the food that I needed, that spiritual food and that uh, that relationship with them. And they were doing nursing home ministry and they would ask me to come with them and I didn't want to do it. But then I felt compelled one time I was driving away when they were going to go and I felt compelled to go back. And when I looked at it and I went with them to the nursing home, what I seen, now I've been in prison, but I know why I was in prison. When I looked at these people, I seen them in the prison of their own bodies, because they weren't able to take care of themselves or anything like that. So my heart poured out to them. But more important, I felt God saying the love that you want to give to your mom, you could give to these people. And and I did that for like about thirteen years, three years in San Antonio and about ten years here in Dallas. And then uh, I handed it off to somebody else, and then I started doing some speaking engagements, sharing my testimony. So, but it was about the love of my mom, and pouring that love that I wanted to give to my mom, but she is in here uh, to other people's moms and dads. And I think I was pretty good at doing that. I think everybody seen the love of Christ in me.
0: Another thing that you brought out in the book, your testimony is going to hurt people that you were once close to, and I believe it was Nikki who was once one of your closest mentor, like you said, he was like God to you. Knowing your testimony was going to be very harmful to him. It had to have been difficult on the one hand, but on the other hand, you have this new chance at life. Not, Not just life here on earth, but you have heavenly life. You're not necessarily thinking about the here and now. Now you're thinking about beyond this life. When you knew that what you were saying in court was going to hurt these people, how did your your view of eternity affect how you went about doing that?
1: Well, let me just tell you, that was the hardest decision I had to make was accepting the offer that the government gave me. I'd love to tell you it was a spiritual thing, but that wouldn't be the truth. I believe the Spirit of God was involved in it, but I didn't see it that way. It was about Robert Engel, who I was at that point in time, who was never going to be the guy that he wanted to be in the mafia because the drugs brought him to a point where I couldn't have been fully trusted or, and lost a lot of respect from a lot of people. And then sitting in prison, I'm never going to go where I was in the mob. That's out of the question. I mean, I might get involved with them, but I never go where I wanted to go with it. And the drugs brought me to my knees. And I figure I'm Robert the Crackhead. Even when I came out of prison, i probably died, Robert the Crackhead. That would be the story of my life. So when I did talk to the government, I just figured, I just thought that I needed to help myself at that point in time. I would get a change of life and maybe get a new, a new start in life. That's how I looked at it. But when I had to go and testify, which I didn't have to against Nikki anyway, and I, in a way I thank God for that. I cried like a baby, very loud in my jail cell where everybody heard me crying because I had to do it. And because as a Christian and I gave my word to the government that I would do it, I knew I couldn't back down anymore. And I look at it today as it was a dividing point in my life because maybe I could have got saved and still hung out with the guys. Probably not, but maybe that could have happened. But I think it was the point of when I made that decision, it was the point of no returning to that life anymore, neither. So I had to start that new life all over again. It's kind of like you couldn't straddle the fence anymore. You had to be on one side or the other kind of thing. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. And, you know, I I just give God all the credit for everything that's happened in my life today. I really do because I could just see his hand so much in my life as I look back. And once again, I don't wanna keep talking about this, but I love what the Spirit of God was doing in my life even when I couldn't see what he was doing or couldn't realize that it was him orchestrating. The Bible says in the heart of a man he plans his course, but God directs his steps. And I see that so much how God was directing my steps, even though I had maybe other thoughts of the course of my life I was gonna take.
0: After you became a Christian, you're in prison and then you're out of prison. What What do you think kept you in the straight and narrow, for lack of a better term? Like, what do you think is the one thing that kept you from going back? Because obviously it had to have been very tempting because that was like your your life pattern, your thought patterns for years and decades. What do you think is the thing that kept you from not sliding back into that lifestyle?
1: Staying in the Word of God, no Mm. doubt about it. Because people told me when I was there, hey, you know, this Christian thing where it's good while you're in here, but once you go out through the temptations of the drinking, the drugging, the partying, the lifestyle that you love so much, because that's what I did all my life before I got saved, you're going to go back to to that. This is just good while you're in here. These things aren't available for you. And it put a great fear in my heart. And I think I even put it in the book where 60 days before I know I'm going to be released, that kind of... In my head, and what I did was I would put the Bible on the floor, put my head in the Bible, and I would pray, God, let your words penetrate my mind that I never forget them. And then I would push my body up and place my heart in the Bible, and I would say, God, let your words penetrate my heart that I will be able to live by them. The key thing for me, my last year and a half in jail was constantly reading the Word of God. Matter of fact, I did what they call the set-free prison ministry. They send you books and you take tests and stuff like that. I got 32 credits within like about a year's time of biblical study. Unfortunately, when I got the new name that didn't follow me, because it didn't follow me around, they couldn't have anything follow you from your past to your future. Okay, got it. Uh, so but, but it was the Word of God, constantly staying in the Word of God. And really, 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 actually, the sacrifice that Christ made for me, I felt obligated to live according to his Word. And I still do. I'm not perfect, though. I'm not saying I'm perfect.
0: Nobody's accusing you of being perfect, Robert.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody says, okay, you know, I don't walk with a halo and I don't walk on water.
0: No, no one, no one's going to say that you're too sure of yourself. Don't worry. Okay, thank you. <laughs> what does it look like? You you were constantly reading the Bible when you first became a Christian. What does it look like now? What does your daily um, Bible reading look like?
1: Well, I, I read different books. I mean, I don't know if you can see it up there, but you can see the on the camp, but I have a whole bunch of books there. And I constantly re- read every day. Uh, the last probably three or four months, I've been waking up probably about, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning because I have a dog that gets up at 5. My wife gets up at 5, so I need that quiet time. So I think God is getting, getting me up so I can get dig into his word. And I do a lot of devotions, and I, I don't want to put anybody's names out there. People that I kind of look up to to study them and, and read what they have written and stuff like that. But uh, that's what I do on a daily basis. I remember when I first came out of prison, I still remember what that guy said. Before I would leave, because they put me in a hotel when I first came out in San Antonio, before I would leave that hotel every morning, I would read scripture, I would read Proverbs, I would read Psalms before I left, and I would pray, God, please protect me, because I know once I leave this little room, my little cubby hole here, there's going to be many temptations out there, so I would pray for God's protection before the temptation comes, not when it comes. So I was getting ready for that, kind of like putting on the spiritual armor of God, in a sense.
0: Now, how long will it be before the new Robert will have been around longer than the old Robert?
1: Okay, we'll have 43. Okay, I'm 66. So I'm okay. probably ago, years. I don't know if that's going to be doable, but you know, sometimes I think I might be the Moses guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Took him forty, then another forty, so maybe maybe eighteen something years. I'll be old enough. But I don't look at it as a time thing. Yes. I look at it as as uh, the quality. But what am I doing today? And you know, I prayer with me and my wife every morning is, Lord, you you woke me up this morning, and I know before you woke me up, you had a plan and a purpose for me for today. I I don't know about tomorrow, but today. And without your spirit, I will never be able to carry So I pray, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, I can fulfill the plan and purpose you have me just for today. And, and I try to live that out in my life every day.
0: What are you the most excited about? Not just uh, life on this earth, but in, in, in light of eternity.
1: Well, well, see, I identify a lot with the Apostle Paul. You know, he, he murdered, he did a lot of things, and he's got it. Thrown off is, well, they say a horse, but they, there's no nothing in the Bible said it was a horse, but knocked to the ground anyway. And something came around and he says, Lord, who are you? I think that was me. You know, when mm-hmm. I was in, in Rikers Island, um, after my daughter told me, Dad, I said, why, why are you crying? She said, because you won't come and see me. I ran back to my son. that's kind of like similar to what Paul did or what happened with Paul is that I prayed for God. I said, OK, and need to have somebody kill me because I thought I was better off dead and alive. And I think a lot of other people thought that about me. So, to be honest, mm. with or or changed me. I didn't know nothing about saving or salvation or anything like that. So, changed me. And and obviously God did the latter one for me. But I think that's when the light came came on for me. And and I was crying out, "Well, okay, Lord, who are you? Who are you? If you are real, if you are real, then, then you, you can do something with me." And and obviously He did. You know. Mm. So,
0: well, from what I. Understand, Paul thought that he was actually serving God by killing Christians.
1: Well, I thought I was serving a god too, serving Nicky Carazzo, the mafia kind of thing. So you know, everybody had some kind of an idol, yeah. And he thought, and there was a little bit of a difference there. He thought, but I thought I was doing it for the right reasons too, because in, in the way I looked at life back then is all the people that went to work were suckers, and we were the smart guys. Or the government, wasn't taking half our money out of our paycheck. If we won't tell them what we were getting, but anyway, that's another story. But I try to keep it the way Paul kept it. That's what I try to do, with an eternity perspective.
0: Well, you hear a lot of like Paul. He'll say, he'll lament. He'll you he can hear the remorse in his voice sometimes, where he like I'm chief among sinners. He he really felt it, and just like you described, like you you have struggles with your past and. He clearly struggled with his own past. He, he he did some pretty bad things. But it ended up well for him, to say the least.
1: Well, you know, the Bible says those who are forgiven much will love much. Yes. And I think a lot of us who maybe haven't lived the lifestyle that I live lived, you know, like sometimes I'll speak and somebody said, well, you really need to get saved. And I say to them, well, you think you didn't? <laughs> of course, you didn't live as bad as I did, but sin is sin. The Bible says the wages of sin, not sins, but the wages mm. of sin is death. Mm. So we mm-hmm. all were living a dead life until God came and saved us, mm. right? So I don't think a lot of other people can see the eternity perspective or or how much they were God loved them you know, or how much they were forgiven because maybe they didn't kill anybody or they didn't live that kind of a lifestyle, but they still had sin in their life, which would have led to death anyway, right? So I don't think they see that too much as... Those who are forgiven much will love much. So they say, okay, yeah, you really need to be forgiven. Well, so did you. Mm-hmm. That's why he went to the cross.
0: Well, I'm speaking with Robert Borelli. Uh, the book is a uh, The Witness, a tale of the life and death of a mafia madman. And it's not just a chronological biography. It's it's written like a novel, and it's actually very, very good. Uh, the for, for the A lot of the actual names are used. like It's not a pseudonym for Robert. The main character is Robert, obviously, referring to uh, our guest. But uh, highly, highly recommend the book. Not just for the, the very powerful message in it that we've heard Robert talk about on this show, but it's just a really well-written book. So hats off to Scott Hunt. And, of course, Robert Borelli. It's been uh, just a real pleasure to be, become acquainted with you a few months ago and then read your book recently and uh, and now to just hear the man the voice himself talking about it. It's been a real treat. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Will you let them, the audience know that they can get the book through Amazon.com BarnesandNoble.com or they go to my website RobertBorelli.com and order from there and I personally will sign in and mail it to them.
0: Okay. Well, if they order from Amazon, you can't sign it. So no, if
1: because they go to my website, okay. Yeah, they ask for the book, and then I send it to them and sign it. Okay, not that my signature means much, but some people like it. Duh.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to lose out on some Amazon affiliate it revenue, but definitely go to oh, Robert. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding, Robert. I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: I, I, can li- the this word, no,
0: I can live without the 20 cents of revenue from Amazon okay. <laughs> <laughs> go to robertborelli.com order the book and have it um, signed personally thanks again this is a real a real treat
1: well God bless you appreciate you let's stay in touch yeah.
0: You can learn more about me, James Newcomb, and our business on the web at committedmedia.org. There you'll find a growing library of free ebooks, courses, podcasts, and much more. And it's all available on our free mobile app. That's committedmedia.org.